Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The, the Wayfarer, for example, who is our standard writer of the game, uh, um, I put a little bit of myself into that one because what you end up doing with that scenario is you're not fighting his ghost or like his past or anything. You're fighting his inner doubt. Oh, uh, wow. And th- that that voice in your head that's like, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. You're fighting that against and uh, trying to pull him out. Hey, friends, this episode is long overdue. Real life, the live stream content, it really had me stretched like butter scraped over too much bread. Tabletop Talk is alive and well with over a dozen episodes in the backlog and interviews happening weekly. I do appreciate you waiting for this one because it's a good one. You see, Kyle, he's one of the good guys. We've been friends for almost as long as he's been a designer for weird games. I love how his design brain works. He has a knack for elegance and theme, a deadly combination for a tabletop game designer. You may know Kyle as the player in both of our runs of Mothership as well as Public Access. The game we focus on is Vagrant Song, which is a co-op boss battler board game set in cryptic old Americana. We get to learn how he studied to be a video game designer only to become the lead designer for a tabletop gaming company. I think you'll find the list of touchstones for Vagrant Song diverse and interesting. And we cover something that I want to talk to more designers about, and that is how do you expand a game without adding bloat? Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Kyle. Uh, Hi, this is Ben Robbins, and Craig might still be recording this. I'm not totally sure, but if he is, uh, you're probably listening to it on Tabletop Talk. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today I'm chatting with Kyle Rowan of Weird Games. Kyle is a longtime friend and friend of the show. If you've watched our Mothership actual play, you saw Kyle playing our favorite scientist in a horrific cosmic sci-fi game. There's links to that in the show notes. Now, Kyle is a game designer with a passion for implementing mechanics with meaning, a writer who enjoys putting characters in difficult situations, and a narrative designer who can champion a game's story from pitch to production. He's brought us a ton of games, including the newest editions of Malifaux and the board games Bayou Bash and Vagrant Song. Kyle, welcome back to the third floor. Hey, Craig. This is awesome to be here. (laughs) So I think this is the first time it's just been you and me on the show. Has it? I think so. I think so. Yeah, we um, we've had you with others on the show before. Um, mostly talking about Malifaux stuff, but I think this sure. is the first time I've had a chance to really talk to you as a award-winning designer. <laughs> 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 so guys, while we're recording this, this is before the Kickstarter for Vagrant Song, but we're going to release it during the Kickstarter for Vagrant Song. So uh, as we talk about it, just know you can scroll down and you'll get links to the Kickstarter um, and all of that. But Kyle, you know where we're going. Because this is the first question I always ask guests, and it's one I'm sure you've answered a million times, but I'm going to phrase it a little bit differently, which is at one point you knew nothing about tabletop game. Maybe you played a little Monopoly. Maybe, you know, you 
played Boggle, but for the first time, the hobby was put in front of you. Do you remember when that was? Risk. It was, was definitely it really. Risk. How old were yeah. you? Uh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12. Um, you know, skipping rules, not really using the cards in the game, but just moving guys on, on the field and, and rolling some dice. Yeah. Uh, Stratego was up there. Mm. Um, and I remember, um, you know, like, Playing that as a kid was one thing. I thought it was excellent at the game. And then, um, met, uh, you know, years later, uh, met my wife and I felt super confident about Stratego <laughs> for whatever reason. And she kicked my butt in like five turns or something. Marry that woman. Yeah, exactly. That was it. That was what I knew. Yeah. <laughs> so between, we took a huge jump there between the first right. time you played Stratego and then you got your ass kicked by your wife or wife to be. What happened in between, though? So you played Stratego as a kid. Did you come across other games in the process, whether it be RPGs or miniature games? Like, what happened in the intern? You know, honestly, uh, before I uh, applied to Weird, I wasn't really a tabletop guy. Uh, really? Yeah, I've I've always been the video game guy. I went to school for video game design. That was that was my whole shtick, and then. Uh, I applied on a whim and um, I'm so glad I did because now I'm obsessed with this space <laughs> and community. So, so that's interesting. So you see, I, I assume like, so how did you find out about the, the job listing at weird then? Uh, I can't remember exactly where, but I mean, I was hunting uh, for a job. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was hungry for it and I saw them and uh, I didn't even know anything about Malifaux at the time. I just saw the neat art and the premise and I was like, that's kind of up my alley. And uh, lo and behold, three, after I got hired three years, I'm leading that project. So incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to try to phrase this the right way. Where did you get the nuts to think that you'd be qualified to do this when you applied for it? I mean, I was applying to everything. Right. You know, senior level positions. I, 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 um, it was breaking into the video game industry is a monster. Uh, yeah. It and it. Despite, you know, having all these credentials, top of my class, yada, yada, um, no one was biting. So I started thinking like outside the box, like maybe I do community management or maybe right. I do uh, this. And then I just saw this posting. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it because why not? Um, game design is game design ultimately. So. So can I ask what the process was after you applied? So could they reach out to you. Sure. Do you, you have you have your first inter first interview of some sort or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I applied. Um, uh, we had gone through an interview. I went, uh, I had a game test and then they said, thanks, no thanks. And, oh, uh, wow. uh, yeah. um, well, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly that. Um, it, they were a lot nicer than that, but, um, they, they ultimately decided to hire someone else at the time. And then, uh, you know, and, and how did that was, feel for you? Were you just like, yeah, I wasn't really anticipating getting it anyway, or were you bummed out or both or? Of course I was bummed, you yeah. know, like it, it, it was a, an unexplored thing for me, you know, like right. something that I, I didn't, I didn't know much about. And that was really exciting. You know, that sort of challenge. Um, and I got pretty far in the interview process. So I thought that I was, you know, maybe not like an automatic pick there, but, um, I knew that I had a unique perspective on things because of my background. Um, so yeah, I was a little bit bummed, but then, you know, a month or two later, they called back and like, you know what? We think we will hire you. So no kidding. Uh, yeah. And, and did you ever find out from the team what put you over the top? 
what was it that during that process, they finally said, you know what? I think we need Kyle. Was that ever shared with you? Uh, Aaron, Aaron at the time just saw that I was a game designer first. Interesting. Um, like my experience was there. My perspective was there. I knew how to dissect games and how to solve problems. Um, it was just a matter of taking a different technical background and a different understanding. Uh, like for example, video games, there's, there's, there's walls to bounce off of. You can under, <laughs> you, you learn the rules as you play things. And, uh, board games is a completely different monster in that regard. You have to have a deep understanding of how the game plays beforehand. Right. Um, so all sorts of obstacles, um, learning experiences, and I'm still learning. There's so yeah. much in this space that I still haven't explored. I, I joke around, like I haven't even played Ticket to Ride, you know? Like, <laughs> so like, who am I? I'm this fraud in this space. Kyle, this is a great interview. I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible all right so now we're going to so you get the like all right now you're in right so you first day um at the office and i just i can't imagine what a fire hose that must have been for you yeah first day they sit me uh, uh in a a desk and they say you know what uh, we have these stories for the other side that need to be edited get to work no and kidding. uh like at the time, I didn't know anything about the Malifaux universe, you know, so it was already an uphill battle. Um, but I mean, it was just reading, you know, ultimately, like to understand right. the world and everything. It just took a little bit of time. Um, the first story I edited was the Gibbering Horde story <laughs> by Tim Akers. And um, since then, I've, every time we have a story opportunity, I'm like, what about Tim? What about Tim? Because this stuff is so good. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was kind of the first thing that they put in front of me. And since then, you know, everything else, I guess. Yeah, no, you've been a busy boy. So, you know, every time and this is true of any job, right? You start a new job. Uh, you're like, I don't know shit about shit. Um, but then there's a morning when you wake up and you go, you know what? I think I'm starting to get my arms around this. I think I'm no longer the new guy. Um, I think I have things to contribute. Do you have a sense of when that happened to you? I'm still waiting for that to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I like to joke around that, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, obviously I have some understanding of it, but there's, there's just so much yeah. uh, to learn in, in, in this space. You know, um, I just recently picked up a book up by uh, Jeff Engelstein, which is essentially an encyclopedia of game mechanics and certain things that I just haven't even experienced myself. So um, that's been a great learning tool, but, um, yeah, no, I'm, I still feel a little bit like a duck out of water at times. Yeah. So. so all of the education that you came in with in a, in a adjacent, but not identical field, I'd be interested to know what, where you have applied that. So what, what did you pick up in your experience in your school and your time with video games that you think directly applies to what you're doing for weird now? I mean, the first one that comes to mind is problem solving. How so? the same, You've mentioned that they're the same problems that come up and it's just a matter of how you boil it down. It's just a matter of, um, uh, I don't know, rather than having like an action or an active system or something like that, you, you do understand that it's usually a turn-based solution or something along those lines. Um, can't think of anything, uh, specifically, but I mean, there are so many parallels. Um, and I've brought a lot of that, um, knowledge into some of the games that um, I've contributed to as far as the way I tell stories in games, mm -hmm. especially Vagrant Song. Um, uh, 
I don't want to interrupt play too much when it comes to storytelling. Um, I want to make sure that the flow is still happening and that's really not easy to do in video games, but it's um, environmental storytelling is a little bit um, more accomplishable and you um, interrupting play doesn't really happen in a video game where in a board game, you kind of have to pause and read, uh, you know, 10 paragraphs or so, depending on what game you're playing. Um, So it's just kind of a, a balance where you got to hit the sweet spot of um, interruptions and game flow. Obviously every problem's different, right? So you, you, you encounter a hitch. And I guess my, my first question is how do you, how do you, and I'm sure there's a million answers to this, so we'll, we'll try to constrain it a little bit, but how do you identify that there's even a problem? So typically how do you go, wait a minute, there's a problem. Uh, that it's going to have to come from play. Okay. Um, um, I can think of one instance in particular when developing Vagrant Song where we knew for sure this mechanic was going to be awesome. And we put it on the table. We did the math. And it was like, you know what? This doesn't work at all. <laughs> um, uh, so in the original development of Vagrant Song, before there was a bindle bag of an action system and stuff like that, we had a, a deck of cards for the enemy actions that you would draw um, where they would have a symbol and a number. And we were trying to create a system where you knew what they were going to do, but you didn't know when. So mm. we were trying to manipulate the like initiative or something like that. Um, but the way it ended up boiling down is regardless of player count, regardless of the situation, they just averaged out on doing two actions per round. And that wasn't doing the thing we wanted to fulfill. So um, we went back to the drawing board and, um, I had one of my, uh, I, the, a lot of people call them shower thoughts. I, I call mm-hmm. them lawnmower moments. Cause I, <laughs> I get a lot of good thinking I, out I there. I like that visual of you <laughs> lawn, mowing the lawn more than you showering. So that's good. <laughs> good, good. Um, uh, yeah. So I had one of those moments of like, you know, we, we've got this, these rummage tokens and stuff like that. Um, we were already looking at other things that we could implement, you know, two, three or four ways, but here was the system that was only being used once. Why don't we use that as the action system? And uh, it just happened overnight. So, and, and it just clicked clicked for you at that point. And and when you think about that process, is it usually play? This is a problem, and then you just walk away from it, or is there a, another way you've solved problems other than just walk away and have an epiphany like that? Is there a, a, another example we can dig into, maybe? Because this is super interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, there isn't like a blanket, uh, like system that I go with. It's sure. it, um, the, the majority of it will come from play because, um, a lot of times, like, like the example before you, you think an idea is really good until you actually get to experience it. Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, tweaking it or shaving it down or something like that. And other times it requires a complete overhaul. Um, Early development of Vagrant Song was also more of a dungeon crawler. We had uh, mm. um, more of a, like each train car was like its own unique tile. You would be building out these trains um, and that sort of thing. And um, while it didn't happen from play, it happened from setup. We were like, this is taking forever. This isn't fun. You know, I don't. You've never I'll played Descent before, have you? Or right. Let's, let's play it. Right? So it's so true. Ended- yeah, it ended up becoming one of the major design pillars of yeah. Vagrant Song is get the game up in five minutes, get the game down in five minutes. It's a big uh, deal. Yeah. And you'll see a lot of that with like 
there's not a thousand different components of different yeah. conditions and stuff like that. That's why we ended up going with just two or three tokens to represent that and then have each scenario reflect differently and that sort of thing. So it's um it's something, Kyle, that I've complimented uh, both Bayou Bash and Vagrant Song on is um there's there's games similar to both, right? This is not the sure. first boss battler tabletop. This is not the first racing game with Bayou Bash that we've seen on the tabletop. I think what I noticed at, um is the lack of fiddliness, right? Neither of those games are very fiddly, um, which is a often what we encounter when we're playing each of those types of things. And it's interesting that it was a pillar for you to say, you know, we we want to streamline this. What were some other pillars that you walked into Vagrant Song with? So one was obviously setup breakdown. Let's not make it fiddly. Was there anything else? Uh, yeah, I mean, I still have um, my design board up somewhere, but Fear the Unknown was kind of the the thing we were pulling on the most. What does um, that mean? Uh, like we just wanted we. As far as the storytelling element, we wanted to make sure that players got pieces, but not the whole thing. Mm. Um, we wanted to make sure that uh, players had a, a, a basic understanding of what was going on in a scenario. But there are certain rituals, for example, where you read it like, I don't what the heck does this even mean? And it comes through organically through play yeah. where you just have to experience it. You just have to play it. And then some things will just organically happen. Um, and yeah, that, that's sort of reflected in how we approach their storytelling and in the mechanics. It's funny, Kyle, because one of the, uh, one of the more popular videos over the last two years on the channel was all of us playing Vagrant Song very early on. Uh, I think it was even pre-release, um, that we had a chance to play and it's still, still very popular. I look forward to getting some nice bumps in my views when (laughs) when the Kickstarter drops, but, um, one, like a lot of times when you play a game, you're not going to remember the specifics of the of the mechanics. You're not going to remember the rules. What you can remember is the experience. Right. And one of the big and I've played it several times since because I've got, of course, have a copy. But I remember walking away from that. And the, the thing that I took away with how many times I went, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. So that and that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Like the slow yeah. reveal. Yeah, exactly. Um, and surprises you know like um you 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 don't want to experience the same scenario twice um and we really tried to make each session dynamic and different um so you didn't know what was going to be happening when you go from lady in white to you know the wendigo um both very different experiences yeah So guys, the Insider Insight series allows me to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and the methods for crafting their creations. We're going to do a lot of that with Kyle. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to figure out where the hell Vagrant Song came from. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content that you're listening to right now for free. 
That pitch man explains by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we refuse to interrupt your episode of Tabletop Talk with such time-wasting pleas. We pledge never to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month because supporting content creators keeps the content coming. Even if there is a link in the show's description, and there is, we don't ask you to click it and become a patron. We don't waste time rambling about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting episodes without ad breaks like this, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode knowing Tabletop Talk, despite being supported by its patrons, won't engage in such blatant appeals for support. So we kind of talked about it a little bit, Kyle, but I want to get into it uh, a lot more because I think um, <sighs> Baker's song was a surprise and it was a surprise for a lot of reasons. One, Weird is not known for board games. So just the fact that Weird was putting out a board game was a huge surprise. Um, I know because we've talked, you were shocked at the reaction that the game got. Um, I still kind of am. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, the game, <laughs> it, the, you guys underproduced it. Right. Oh, yeah. um, uh, naively and not having no idea. But again, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Like who it, there's just as much a chance that nobody would have bought the game because they're like this. You no, know, I, I get my Malifaux other side from weird. I don't buy board games from weird. But I want to go all the way back to the day before the beginnings of Agrid Song. So, um, you know, typically what I hear from creators is there's just there's this itch in the back of your head that you just couldn't get rid of and that you just had to chase down. Can we go back to when you think really the acorn of Vagrant Song started to appear? Yeah. Um, so we were actually working on a dungeon crawler at the time. Um, we, and where uh, did that come from? So this, this desire to make a, a dungeon crawler. Uh, that was an interest in uh, someone else on the team at the time. And I was uh -huh. just kind of contributing to the project. Um, uh, I can't speak too much on that because who knows yeah, it, yeah. it might come back. We'll see. Sure. Um, but, but, but it was just like, we want to take a shot at a dungeon. That's the beginning. Yeah. Ultimately, um, we were all playing games like that at the time. They were, um, things that were really interesting to us. Um, and then dungeon crawler adjacent stuff like kingdom death was kind of a, a conversation that was happening a lot at the office at the time. And mm -hmm. then, um, but there were a dozen or so things that weren't clicking with me on, like on this one. Um, it's theme. Uh, which mm -hmm. I can't really talk about specifically, yep. but I didn't really feel connected to it. I didn't, it didn't feel personal to me. It didn't feel like players would connect to it in the same right. way. Um, some of the mechanics, um, it just certain elements weren't rubbing with me as a designer. They would have been fine as a game for, um, for a certain audience, but ultimately selfishly, I, I the audience of Vagrant Song ended up becoming me and just, hoping that other people latched onto it as well. These are things that I'm interested in. Um, but what so did you're it end up happening? You're in the idea batting cage, right? And th 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 this thing keeps pitching at you and you're just not, you're not hitting the ball. You're just not, it's not catching exactly. with you. It's not going with you. What happens next then? So w when you say this, this isn't clicking for me, so I'm going to. Right. So I, I brought this up with Nathan um, 
who's the owner of Weird Games, and um, brought up some of these problems about the theme and stuff like that. And just having trouble making it connect yep. um, for whatever reason. And uh, he gave me like a day or two to come up with some other ideas. Um, we're, we're pretty fast around in, in the weird office. Yeah. And I, I pitched about a dozen ideas. And then the last one was my Hail Mary. And I was like, okay, here's Vagrant Song. Um, here's, this is, this is a thing that's strange that is very unconventional. And it's just kind of a combination of everything that I'm obsessed about. Uh, like what? So, Old timey yeah. Americana, ghost stories, um, and uh, yeah, and uh, that was that was pretty much the premise of it. At the time, I was reading a comic called Harrow County, which uh, there's a ton of inspiration pulled from that comic. Yeah, um, I was obsessed with a video game called Kentucky Route Zero, which um, is, is kind of where like the in between stuff came from. Mm-hmm. The premise of that game is that you're in this. You're on this strange road that seems like it's between worlds. Um, so some elements came from that. And then um, uh, the other video game that I pulled a lot of inspiration from, which is a little looser, uh, Shadow of the Colossus. And okay. that's where a lot of the boss stuff came from. Yeah. Like, um, and where the element of... In Shadow of the Colossus, when you, when you destroy one of these things, you feel a tremendous amount of guilt. Um, and... It just, it hurts. Uh, There's there's something tormenting about it. Um, And I didn't want to hit that note exactly, but I did want to hit something with Vagrant Song. Um, So it ended up becoming a game where we're saving these things instead of um, just a a boxing match. Although there are boxing gloves in the game. So. <laughs> no, but, and that's a theme that I noticed uh, right out of the gate, Kyle, which I thought was kind of neat. It reminds me a little of, of Vasan, the RPG, is it got a similar type idea, which is we're not, it's not Call of Cthulhu. We're not going out and destroying things, right? Mm-hmm. What we're doing is we're trying to figure out what the hell is going on and how do we sate it? How do we solve for it? How do we uh, satisfy it to make it go away, to get rid of the problem? And that's thematically through the whole thing. So you pitch this to Nathan. Um, Nathan says, walk away. Come back in a couple of days. Tell me what you got. Um, you do your Hail Mary. He goes, yeah, l- l- I want you to chase that. What do you do then? Once Nathan says, run it, run after it. Uh, I mean, wake up. It felt like a dream at that point, um, <laughs> because honestly, that was that was the dream premise. Right. And mm-hmm. like all the other ones were, you know. Uh, connecting into certain. Uh, certain things that were already kind of interesting at the time. Um, I think there was a Kaiju version, uh, you know, I think Pacific Rim was coming out at the time. Um, so I was trying to, uh, the other ones were just, how do we make this interesting to what's going on within the release window? And then here's this crazy idea that doesn't align with anything. Uh, and that's the one that caught his eye, thankfully. And here we are. Um, but after that, yeah, we had to start designing things. Um, that was the scary part, I guess. Uh, so the first scenario we ended up building uh, was Mako Joe. Um, and this is kind of, in truth, it's kind of years later after that um, uh, that meeting with Nathan because we were also working on Malifaux 3rd Edition at the time. Yep. Um, and that was a ginormous project. <laughs> um, I still have nightmares about <laughs> the late nights. Um, yeah. Like seven books, 21 stories. Sure. 600 characters. Let's do that. Why, what the heck are we doing? Yeah. Um, so I had to pivot a little bit. Um, but what that 
let us do is we were able to have just brainstorming sessions, you know, when we, um, weekly, daily, whenever we kind of got burned out on whatever we were working on at the time, we would just sit down and be like, Hey, what about this? You know, or like, did you hear about this ghost story? Like maybe we could do something with this one. Uh, and it just kept building and building over roughly two years until eventually it was like, we know what this game is, you know? And then it just, uh, Mako Joe got built. Um, we played it in front of Nathan and it was awesome because it just, for whatever reason, like it never happens this way where you put down a game and it's like, this works. And it did. Um, and, uh, I mean, there were there were quirks and stuff, of sure. course, but like the flow of it felt right, the speed of it, um, the scariness of it, um, and uh, yeah. And from there, it was like, okay, now do this another twenty-two times, essentially, <laughs> to build a game. So, so, and obviously, we're skipping ahead a little bit here, right? So, there's a lot of work that happens between when you talk to Nathan about it, when you show it to Nathan for the first time, um, and we touched on you know some of that process when you finished showing it to Nathan. What was, what was the key feedback you got from him? So, and when you look back on what he had to say after seeing it for the first time, you'd been living with it for a while now. What what hit you that came out of his mouth? I can't remember the exact thing that he said, um, but um, Nathan's kind of a tough cookie to crack. Uh, He's, (laughs) he's, and it's, it's not always easy to get him excited. Um, They're, there are certain elements like I remember when we pitched uh Yedza and, and her crew, like that was like, yep, we're doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and um this just happened to be one of those moments in really in, in, in how Mako Joe's story uh kinda happened, how you're kicking the can of his head around and the trains crashing and here's all this chaos that you're just juggling. Um he was into it. Like yeah. uh uh, he's, he's a really busy guy and this is one that he was interested in chucking dice with. So like at that point we felt like maybe we got something going. Yeah. Chase this a little bit. Now yeah. I just realized that we have, we have done something terrible, which is there are people listening right now that no, have no idea what the hell Vagra song is. Um, so very quickly, and I need your help with this as well, Kyle, it's a, it's a board game. It's yep. cooperative competitive ish. I, we, um, we, we, we put it under the cooperative umbrella. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's a boss battler. You've got an enemy. Um, and though the rules don't change from scenario to scenario, the bosses do right. And the circumstances of how you quote unquote solve these and, and finish um, these boss battlers changes from boss to boss. But what's nice is the core mechanics of the game do not change. Um, each of the characters are unique um, that everybody plays. They've got their own special powers. And um, everything that I just said doesn't convey the experience of playing the game. Um, I was amazed, Kyle, at how much I identified with my character, which, hey, in an RPG, that's easy. In a board game, that's not easy. In a video game, it's much easier. But in a board game, for me to like be that character and the way the special powers work, the artwork is fantastic. Um, it, it's really, really neat. So now... You show it to Nathan. Now you're like, holy shit, we're cooking with gas right now. Now we're going to chase this out. What happens after you've really kind of gotten that bigger green light? I mean, at that point, um, it was pretty much OK. All other projects uh, on your plate right now, Kyle, put them on hold because we're no going to start building this thing. Um, and it's funny. We went from, you know, two years of brainstorming to only eight months of actual development. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, in- including, you know, playtesting like we. 
this is the second we got a scenario in a place where other players could check it out, we put it in front of them. Uh, and we just kept doing that on a weekly basis, just giving more and more content to our amazing playtesters and letting them know how broken and horrible certain things were. <laughs> uh, and it was just an iterative process of back and forth uh, conversation with our playtesters and with ourselves. And uh, we eventually got there. So, so with the playtesting process, there's, you know, there's several different phases of it. I would imagine and keep me honest here. One phase is Kyle's presenting the game. Kyle's walking you through the game. We, we're going to play it together, but I would also imagine there's a stage where you ship the game off, not literally, but you send the game off to play testers and see if they can do it on their own. Um, is that right. accurate? Yeah, and that was kind of the meat of uh, playtesting, at least from the start. Like we were, there was the internal stuff, which is pretty standard. Like we, we want to make sure that X works in a Y way. Um, but in a board game, like, as I was saying, like the there's no walls that bounce around right. in comparison. We have to make sure that those rules work, and we have to get those in front of players and make sure that they understand what the heck they're doing. Um, so yeah, that was a really early part of the process. And Kyle, one of the things I keep hearing about playtesting from creators, and it's it's pretty darn consistent, and tell me if you have the same experience, that playtesters do an amazing job of pointing out the problems. They don't do a very good job at solving them, and that's not their job, right? That's that's your right. job. But they do a great job of saying, this is a problem. Do you remember anything that was identified through playtests that, that thankfully they identified and you were able to address? Really early on, we had a, um, a health system where right now vagrants average at about uh, 10 humanity and we have this skill system where if you get wounded, you refresh and that sort of thing. Um, our numbers were very different early on. Mm. Um, vagrants might have four or five humanity. Um, and this was probably the first week uh, of, of testing where someone said, this just doesn't feel right. Like I can just, I'm getting hurt as much as I can heal myself. Mm. And it's just, we're just hitting this middle ground. There isn't really this interesting ebb and flow. Um, so it was a small change of just increasing some numbers. It ended up uh, changing game feel considerably because you're getting your health chipped down or humanity in Vagrant Song's case. You're getting that chipped down over time. And when you have a rare opportunity, you might be able to heal yourself a little bit here and there. Um, and that ended up creating the tension we were looking so, and you may, you may or may not be able to answer this, but it's a question that I've, that I've been trying to noodle myself. And I don't think I've actually asked a creator of this. Um, and I'm going to try to phrase it. So be patient with me. You know, you spent all of this time internally playing Vagrant Song, play the, play the hell out of it, right? It's all you do. And then you send it out for play test and they identify this problem, right? They come back to you with this feedback. Do you have a sense of why you were blind to that internally? So, I mean, obviously this is the value of, of, of shipping it. Right. And having people outside the office test it. But I've always been curious, like, what's it like to like someone come back to you and go like, how did we not see this? Or how did we not feel this? Does that question make sense? No, no, I'm with you there. Um, there's a hundred instances where I can think of that when we get into like the, the nitty gritty of playtesting a specific scenario, it's like, Oh, there's, there's an oversight here. Um, uh -huh. I, I didn't anticipate players getting trapped in a train car surrounded by boxes. Whoops. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, maybe we should add something to let them uh, move them or something like that. Um, and yeah, it's just, I mean, ultimately you have to realize that 
game designers aren't magicians for people. You know, yeah. we can we can build what we think is really good, but you have to have an audience of from varying perspectives. You need to have the casuals play. You need to have the hardcore players play. Mm-hmm. And they're all going to give you different, extremely valuable right. uh, information. So just the scary part is giving it to them, right? You know, like yeah. handing it off, like, here's my baby. Please don't kill me, you know? <laughs> uh, and that's always been a gut-wrenching process for I sure. Bet. I bet. Um, is it easy to get your feelings hurt in that process, Kyle? Or have you built up a little bit of armor when you start getting that feedback? or? You know, it kind of depends on the project. Um, For like Malifaux, for whatever reason, if someone tells me that this idea is the dumbest thing in the world, I'm like, okay, all right, let's fix it. Um, With Vagrant Song, I I think I hold it a little closer than than other projects. And uh, yeah, the criticism does does sting a little bit more uh, with Vagrant Song than other things. But Maybe this is a selfish way of me of thinking it, but I've always considered games like Malifaux to not be mine. It's the community's game, and I'm sure. just driving, you know, the ship, so to speak. But with Vagrant Song, this is mine. You know, yeah. like you get to play, but this is this is my toy. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So the last little bit here is um, something I keep hearing, um, which is you know. Game is going great. We go through play testing, you know, everything. This is a good game. This is a good game. And it always, what it seems to hear is that at the last minute, which you don't know, it's the last minute at the time you add something or take something away that makes it all just click. Did that happen with Vagrant Song? Was there a late change addition or subtraction that just made all the gears mesh better? Or was I mean, it just yeah, a I'm, slow I'm, iteration? Go ahead. I'm sure, I'm sure there was. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, Vagrant Song development was like three years ago. So Come on, Kyle. That, that, <laughs> that instance uh, is not quite as fresh in my mind. Um, yeah, no, that, that's a tough one to answer. I okay. mean, at, you know, 20 minutes from now, we're like, oh, yeah, I remember this. But uh, yeah, right Stay now, tuned for part two. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, and, and it's funny you say that, Kyle, because... Um, it's very easy for all of us, including me, the idiot with a podcast to forget like the time delay and these conversations right. that you creators have. I mean, we're talking right now before a Kickstarter for something new comes out. This has been part of your life for years now. Right. Um, and very often when I'm doing these interviews, Kyle, your your head's in another place. You're working on other shit we can't talk about right now. And I'm asking right. you to go rewind and go back in time. So that's that's fair. Um, so. Uh, Let's do this. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the two expansions that are going to be part of the, that are a part of this Kickstarter. We're going to talk about Encore and Off the Rails and where they came from. We'll be right back. Attention all floor heads, gather round. I have a quest for you. You can simultaneously show your love for the show and embark on rewarding adventures. Head over to drivethroughrpg.com, your one-stop shop for all things gaming. Whether you're looking for rulebooks, maps, art, or epic tales to enhance your gaming experience, it is that one-stop shop. Now, in the show notes, there's a unique affiliate link. Every one of your purchases directly supports Tabletop Talk if you use that link. It's like casting a powerful spell that helps us keep the podcast going strong. 
So next time you're itching for a new adventure, follow the affiliate link in our show notes or bookmark it now in your browser. It can be your portal to everything on DriveThruRPG. Now let's get back to the show, but please support the show by using that DriveThruRPG affiliate link next time you are shopping at the site. Um, we hinted at it a little bit, and, I, and it's really kind of a, a neat success story, which is just how this game exploded. Um, it uh, it came out. You guys were very generous. I got an early copy of it. Um, I got to play it very early through Tabletop Simulator. We took it to Camping for Gamers and played the hell out of it there. Um, I knew it was a really good game, but you never know what's going to happen, right? There's a lot of really good games that were made and never played uh, and never sold. But this one just blew up um to the point where you guys sold out very quickly and have been you know running uh to try to get more copies made and get them out there um and it's you know manufacturing of a game like this is is no joke because of the quality um it's just really a well-built game uh to begin with um so you guys are going through all of this um which again is a good problem to have um better than the other problem that it could have been right at what point does the idea of expansions come into play was this in the very beginning that you said okay let's we're going to set these aside these are potential expansions later or was it hey i think there's more to explore here when did that happen i mean it uh, there's two different stages of that right there's like the dreamland right where we always are like oh what if this is a movie you know like we have like all these crazy ideas um yeah so that that's happening all the time you know we always talk about like what does Malifaux look like as a video game and that sort right. of thing? Um, but when we really uh, uh, kind of sat down and said, you know what, maybe we should continue working on this world was um, pretty early on. Uh, like once that hype started happening, we're like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? You know, like uh, did we, did we put lightning in a bottle? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, I mean, other projects came into play in, in between Vagrant Song's release and Off the Rails. Um, Bayou Bash's expansion was the the, the thing that comes to mind. Um, but yeah, we just started hashing out other ideas. There were certain things that um, in the core game we couldn't get to in time, like what? Um, that we wanted to revisit. Um, Save your soul scenarios is the mm. the big thing. That was that was an original pillar of uh, vagrant song was I wanted to make it so that the characters that you're playing, when they go westbound a certain way that you can pull them back from the brink uh, so that the, it deepens the connection to those characters and also to the enemy characters, because then you, you end up creating this extra personality to them. You, you, you humanize them a little bit more. Um, So um ultimately we ended up pulling that from the core game because it was another six scenarios to design Mm -hmm. and the system was just we couldn't figure out the right way to dish it out um we knew we wanted the the stuff in the game we just didn't know the right how and um as much as we wanted to put it in the core game you know the deadlines exist you know and uh the game was already pretty meaty as it is uh so we ended up shelving that idea uh wasn't sure at the time if we would ever revisit it because i wasn't thinking expansions who Who knows right um but that was one of the first things that we revisited with encore is okay how do we actually do this 
And can we get a sense of what that really is? So you've kind of hinted at it a little bit. So I, I pick up Encore and what is what does Encore open up for me when I now play Vagrant Song? So uh, it's got everything uh, in the kitchen sink in there. Um, all of our ideas, we kind of just tossed in here that we could, um, starting up with Save Your Soul scenarios. So the way that they work is that um, if you essentially hit the Save Your Soul scenario switch in your game and you want to add that content in there, it is optional. Everything is you know, um, on-off switches like that uh, up to players and how they want to experience things. But ultimately, let's say I'm playing the Curse Bearer one scenario, and at the end of it, I go westbound, and I stay westbound in between the scenario and the camp phase. Um, there's going to be a new thing on the milepost page where I check off a box, go read a moment. I'm sure nothing horrible will happen. And then um, after a certain amount of those times happen, um, you can still play the curse bearer, but she starts off westbound. Um, and, uh, and what does westbound be... mean for those that are listening? So when you um, you're playing a vagrant in the game, you you have you have four skills and uh, on average one junk card. Um, and when you lose all those skills and junk and all your humanity is down, you're gonna you're not out of the game. You flip over your card to westbound and. Um, you don't become an enemy or anything like that, but you are kind of this ghostly one foot in the grave sort of character. And you're, the goal then for you pivots to get your humanity back before the end of the scenario is over. Otherwise, a bad thing is now going to happen. Um, and if all vagrants are westbound, that's the lose condition, the standard right. lose condition of the game. So, um, but now what's going to happen is after certain times you go, uh, you you lose as an individual in the game. Um, in order for you to come back to the living and be a standard character again, players are going to say, you know what? We're not going to play the next scenario in this campaign. We're going to go save the curse bearer and do her so save your cool. soul scenario. And here you're going to experience the deep dive of their past. Um, you're going to see what's been haunting them as mm. people. Um, and it, it's not going to be always ghosts. Um, like, the the wafer, for example, who is our standard writer of the game, uh, um, I put a little bit of myself into that one because what you end up doing with that scenario is you're not fighting his ghost or like his past or anything. You're fighting his inner doubt. Oh uh, wow! And th that that voice in your head that's like, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. You're fighting that against and uh, and trying to pull him out of that mentality. God, did I feel uh, everything you just said? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we, we get we went a lot heavier with That's cool. uh, some of the tone in, in those scenarios because we want them to feel like real people. The songsmith, um, you're going to revisit a part in his past where he had a really bad show and what that looks like for a musician. You know, um, Curse Bear, you get to experience a little bit about what that demon is all about. Uh, oh, that's so been chasing cool. her. Um, the runaway, you're going to find out that why that's her name. Uh, let's see the Empress. You're going to figure out what made her change into the person that she was before. She used to own a storefront and how that kind of reflected it. Um, and the revivalist, um, his story has always been about family and his homeland and why he left and that sort of thing. And you're going to experience kind of those heartstrings and like what it means for families to kind of slowly separate over time. 
And for those listening that haven't played Vagrant Song, what you're hearing is really, I think, one of the lightning in the bottle aspects of this game. And, and you, you heard me hint on it when I talked about the first time I played it is it's it's incredible how you would much you identify with these vagrants, which are the characters that you embody on the board. And um, you end up giving a shit uh, about right. these characters. And then for for me, as somebody who's played the game several times now, for me to hear what you're saying it, it 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 deepens that. So I love the fact that you chased what I think end up being one of those like secret things about this game that you really, you know, you really care about on there. But when we were talking about when this was going to be a part of the original game for a short period of time and you ended up having to put it onto the side table for a while, what was the problem that pushed it there? And how did you revisit it to be able to bring it back in as an expansion? Do you remember? Well, we knew the game was big, you know, there's 23 scenarios total in the game. um, And we knew we didn't want to create something gigantic. We wanted to make sure that, you know, the, the, the box contained a lot of stuff, but not so much that you'll never experience it. It's really important to me. uh, They actually get to play the content. Mm -hmm. Um, An interesting board game stat that I learned is that when you buy a board game, the average player might play it four times ever in their life. And I wanted to make sure that, that wasn't the case with Vagrant Song. Mm-hmm. You, you felt continuously driven. Um, so uh, in addition to kind of try, uh, struggling to find out the sweet spot of when to interrupt players in the flow of their scenario um, and, you know, how to actually trigger it. Um, yeah, we just ended up deciding you know, this is just too much for this. Um, but in an expansion, it's kind of perfect uh, right. because you can sprinkle it in a way of like, how I want to. Um, and that goes in addition to like all the stuff that we kind of decided on with, uh, encore and off the rails is that these are very modular things that you can adjust your campaign. However you want to play that. Yeah. And that, those are my favorite types of expansions. Um, and we're starting to see that more and more in games. Um, I don't know if you've ever played the board game heat. Not yet. Uh, oh, it, so, it's up there. Yeah. It, 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 so it's a really people, people have heard me talk about this before. Um, what I found really great about heat. In fact, my one criticism of heat is Heat should have had an expansion. They should not have included it in the game because I think it makes the game price point a little too high. But mm. what's great about it is that you have all these optional rules and, and things you can add to the game. So you can play the base game and, and enjoy it. And then let's throw this in, let's throw weather in. Right. Let's throw in track conditions in. Um, we don't like track conditions. Let's just do the weather. So I love that idea that um, this expansion, it sounds like it has those levers that we can try this. And if we like it, we're going to keep it. If we don't want to play it this time, we don't have to, as opposed to just adding and, and making the game bigger, which can be a, a terrible, terrible process with expansions at some times. Now, we talk about Encore and off the rails and, and some of the marketing Kyle, I got the impression that at one time it was one expansion, then it became two. Is that accurate? Yeah, that is that is accurate. Yeah. And what caused that to happen? Uh, scale of both expansions. Um, and ultimately, we realized that the content in Off the Rails and the content in Encore don't both cleanly align with all player groups. Uh, like, How so? Uh, so Encore is more content. There's a new uh, chapter, uh, new haints to explore, the, the Save Your Soul stuff, and all sorts of new bells and whistles to add. Off the Rails is very different in that you uh, are experiencing the same game 
in a new light. Uh, so if players just want to add more replayability to their content that they have and they don't want to, you know, go exploring the Bridge of Leaves or whatever, they, now we have that option available. Uh, so and how does yeah. it do that? Uh, so each scenario has a, uh, a card that goes along with it now called an off the rails card. Um, on the front of the card, it's going to have some rules adjustments and tweaks. Uh, it, it usually is an uptick in difficulty. Um, we found that players don't want to make their games easier. They want to make it more challenging, um, which is such a, like, like a, a oh, duh moment. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't automatic, you know, sure. it was in, in our heads. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's got adjustments to the rules. And then there's uh, a new rummage token in off the rails that's going to initiate um, new actions and also two new events per uh, scenario. So you're going to get either a deeper look into a character or you're going to get a spin on the scenario that you didn't anticipate that's going nice. to make it feel fresh again. Very, very nice. Um, so let's, let's and I, I'm being hypothetical here, but let's pretend that, that between Encore and Off the Rails, there's 10 things that we're, we're adding to the game. Um, There's more, but sure. Right, but, but I'm trying to keep the math easy here. I would assume at some point there was 15 things and you, and you pared it down. Um, did you find yourself again, having to put some stuff on the side table um, the way you did with the core game, or do you feel like you got everything in here that you needed to get? I mean, there's a hundred ghost stories that I want to tell in Vagrant yeah. Song. Uh, I mean, there's, um, and ultimately, the ones that we ended up putting to the side is uh, most of the characters didn't feel like it was right to redeem them. Um, Ooh, interesting. How so? Uh, so there's there's um, one story in particular called the Bunny Man uh, that we really wanted to touch on. Um, and it, I mean, as it turns out, this is probably more of a you know a, a folk story rather than a real life event. But as the story goes, there's this bridge. And this guy was a serial killer. And every time he killed a person, he would uh, string up a bunny on that underneath that bridge. Really dark <laughs> stuff. Yeah. But uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff in Vagrant Song does kind of <laughs> lean in that direction. But um, ultimately, saving his humanity felt like something that we we were struggling with uh, cool. as, as a theme. Yeah. So like characters like him, uh, the jazz man, who is another uh, an axe murderer in New Orleans um, and uh, all sorts of other characters that we just for one one reason or another just didn't click with what we were doing at the time. So um, it's it's easier to go dark than it mm -hmm. is to go humorous. And the game does try to strike a balance with two. So sometimes we that darkness we kind of have to close that door a little bit uh so so when when did you know you could go to nathan and say i think these things are ready uh or did I, nathan I'm, go to you and say wrap it up yeah it's the other way around usually <laughs> is it? uh i mean i i a game designer's work is really never done. Yeah. Uh, no game is ever perfect. You're always going to want to get into it and tweak and adjust and perfect. And you could do that until the end of your days. Yeah. Uh, and it's just ultimately finding the, t the, the right moment when you say, you know, this is, this is good enough is 
probably one of the tougher things for a game designer to to do and to learn when it's that right time uh is is tough and i don't know if i've ever gotten there 100% um because i just want to keep adding things but mm-hmm. ultimately you have to understand that this is a product, product. yeah right yeah and um the success of the product means the you know i get paid later you know so uh it needs it to go out to eventually <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um all right so i'm going to give you a, a a hypothetical here kyle uh as we wrap this up which is um you're walking around gen con you're away from the weird booth um somebody comes up to you very hypothetical yeah, right. can... super hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait there's other booths craig right. um and uh someone comes up to you you never met before and they go hey aren't, aren't you kyle from weird the guy that made vagrant song you're like yeah yeah that's me what could they say to you about the game that would make you feel that it that it landed what can they what what kind of feedback can you get from somebody that would say god damn it i nailed it Boy, I mean, there's already been so much. Yeah. Um, the one, the one in particular that someone uh, said to me that really resonated with me is that they understood the Skelly Man. Um, so what the does very that mean? end. Uh, so the, one criticism of the game is that uh, there's no story in it, which I tr- believe that's, me there is. We, we that's interesting. In okay. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Um, but there's no connected story. But there is. It's just. Um, you really have to get to the ending to kind of understand where all the friends are. Um, and, um, for whatever reason, this, uh, the story of the Skelly man kind of resonated with this player. He, he was talking about how, uh, uh, I don't want to spoil too much about the end end fight, but it is ultimately a story about selfishness, um, and, um, driving yourself, being obsessed with your own creations that you forget the people along the way mm-hmm. um, and that connected with someone and that I, I still think of that conversation all the time. So, so it sounds like when people are, are getting the underlying themes, when people are connecting with the characters in the game, that, that, that means a lot. Is that accurate? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And that was just one specific one. It was like someone, someone found that out, figured that out. And uh, because the, the the narrative is a little esoteric. It was intentionally written with in a way that I don't want to explain Mako Joe's story. I want you to go and understand Mako Joe's story on your own. Do that right. research. You know, here's here's this character. Here's some parts of his history that you're going to be able to um, experience in the game. But go see the the full picture. Go go take the time and research it. And that uh, that comes from a little bit of the Dark Souls in me. Uh, mm. in that you. You get bits and pieces, but it's up to you to piece it together. Yeah, the old Elden Ring thing where you just it's over time that you start being able right. to pick up and piece things together. That's great. So, guys, we're going to take one more break. When we get back from this break, we're going to get to one of my favorite segments on the show. We're going to figure out what Kyle's been grooving on. We'll be right back. So, Kyle, over the last year or so, this has become a regular segment on the show and it's become one of my favorites. And I get feedback from it from the audience all the time. And I think everybody finds it interesting to know. For people who make things, what do they like to consume, right? Um, if So I'd be curious for you, has there been any video games, board games, RPGs, television shows or movies or anything that just got its hooks into you and you're like, oh, I can't stop thinking about this? Uh, yeah. So when developing a board game as heavily as I am right now, I don't normally play them because Fair. I'm usually playtesting or. Well, you haven't even played Ticket to Ride for Christ's sake. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fraud. Um, 
but uh, yeah, ultimately, like my blinders are on. I'm I'm focusing on one yeah. board game in particular. But um, what's scratching the horror itch for me right now is a TV show on MGM called From. Oh, I don't uh, know this. Yeah, it it that's the tough part about it. It's because you have to go to MGM Plus to to watch the thing. I didn't even know a thing called MGM Plus existed. <laughs> right. Yeah, neither did I until like the uh, outskirts of YouTube, someone recommended from. I was like, okay, I got to check this out. And yeah. it's, a, it's essentially a lost like I would describe it as, but with a horror edge. Um, so there's this tiny town, players, or people, I say players, people can't escape it. Um, and, you know, just like lost, it's like question, 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 question. Instead of an answer, here's a whole new reveal what the heck is going on? Um, and I'm, it, I'm hooked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's good stuff so far. I haven't completed it. And that's kind of the thing about these types of shows is that the ending is really the sweet spot. So yep. if it ends up being horrible, don't blame me if you start watching it, but right now it's great. Yeah. And God, and, and if you're like me, Kyle, when you're in the, in the middle of it, you're just like, please land, please land the ending. Don't fuck up the ending because right. How many times has that happened? Um, and it, it, it seems so hard to do, especially as your expectations get higher and higher as it unfolds. So as you're watching this show. I would imagine your mind works in several different phases here, right? So you you take it strictly as a viewer, right? And you're like consuming it, consuming this is great and so on and so forth. Do you also go? That was a really good creative choice that they made. That's that's part of why this this show is working. Do you do you think about it at that level at all? Yeah, no, there's there are times when I can turn that analytical lens off and just enjoy the show for what it is. Um, but as a designer, it's kind of hard to do that, especially when I'm playing a game. Um, video games are a little bit easier than board games right now, I'd say, because it's my job to make board games. Um, but uh, more often right now with From, I'm strangely, I'm recognizing things that I wanted to do with an old point and click adventure game that I was working on really, and, and seeing the similarities between the decisions they made and the stuff I wanted to do. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of wild to see like, Oh, that was a twist I wanted to put in. Isn't that uh, so it, it's kind of fun to experience that. And, uh, cause here's this project I'll never, ever complete. Um, but the ideas are still kind of floating around in my head all the time. It's, it's fun to see someone say, uh, take those things that I clearly couldn't find an answer for. Right. And they did. Um, yeah. it's like, Oh, that's, that's smart. Yeah. It worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's my check? Um, right. <laughs> so it, what's funny, Kyle, is, I mean, you and I started off when I was creating content for Malifo is when we first got connected and, uh, you and the whole team there at weird have been so good, uh, to me. Um, and the show and the content that we make. But, um, you know, since then, we've discovered other things that you and I have in common um, and have really grooved together and, you know, played played Mothership and had a really fantastic time. Still one of the most viewed APs on the channel. Um, it's eight episodes and I still get comments of people that are just like, holy shit. And uh, toot our horns. If you search for Mothership, it is the first video that comes up as our episode one of that play. Um, oh, that's amazing. And that's cool. <laughs> um, but I think that's when I figured out our mutual love of horror. Now, the second AP that we're going to be playing, and depending on when this drops, it may have started, it may not, is uh, Public Access, Jason Cordova's uh, analog horror game. Um, and we're not, I don't want to get into that, but I'm super excited to play that. And it's with the same crew that did Mothership. But um, I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be so good. But um, <laughs> I would be curious as we finish up, 
pal. Like, what is it about horror that 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 seems to attract you? Um, from a TV show, from a movies, from the theme thematics around Vagrant Song, the fact that if I approach you to play on my channel a horror game, you're like, "Yep, sure, sign me up." <laughs> like, what is it? Uh, it started off when I was young. Uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space was the <laughs> one that haunted me for days, if not years. Um, yeah, I, I still hear, uh, what are you going to do? Knock my block off in the back of my head every once in a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, horror was always something strangely that my mom and I always kind of attached ourselves really? to. Yeah. We would watch horror movies, um, all the time. It was a lot of X-Files and that sort of stuff, which yeah. is like horror adjacent, but, sure. um, yeah, no, it, it, it's having those conversations about horror with her is what started it all. Um, and what drives it now is, I don't know, I guess I like jump scares, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that feeling. Yeah. Um, and just the way a good horror story can just get you hooked without giving you any information. Uh, yeah. And just, you're just wondering, you are the investigator in, in, in the viewership of it and trying to figure out what, what's lining up and that sort of thing. It's just a lot of fun to make. Well, and here you talk about from, I think, reveals a little bit of where what you love about it. Right. Just like any genre, though, uh, for every great horror, there's four that suck, you know, and we have to wade our way through that to find to find what we love. And that's not unique to horror. When you think about one that didn't land with you, a movie or a TV show that just didn't land, what tends to be missing? So when you watch something in that genre and you're like that, this wasn't very good. What's not there typically for you when it doesn't connect? Does that make sense? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a hundred things that we could probably go into, but I think the first one and the most obvious with horror, especially is when the character does something completely out of bounds of reality of, Mm. uh, you know, running up the stairs when really they should just run outside. Um, those sorts of decisions, um, I'm. I'm one of those uh, uh, TV and movie watchers where I, I don't say a word during it, but the, the second someone does one of those things, I, I had to pause the movie and just rant for it a second. It just takes you out. Yeah, it just pulls me out of it. Um, I have to be fully immersed, and that's just one of the elements that just, yeah, uh, yeah. can't handle it. Did you see Barbarian? Oh boy, do we have time to talk about that? I think we should talk about Barbarian. <laughs> and, and the reason it pops into my head, Kyle, is because what you just talked about is a bit of a theme of that movie. And I do want us to be careful for people that have not watched barbarian, because I think part of watching barbarian is not knowing what barbarian is. Right. But, but I know when it happened to me, when did you realize when you were watching barbarian that you were like, uh, like, holy shit, like this is something different. This is something special. Do you remember when that show, when that movie made you go, Whoa, or was it not until the end? It was even before the movie started. The trailer is what got me. It was such a well-designed trailer. First yeah. off, they they put Skarsgård in uh, uh, a role, and that was right around after it. So already you're thinking he's the villain. You know, right. here, this here's this bad guy in this bad situation. This this poor woman gets stranded, um, and uh, they have to be essentially bunk buddies in this um, uh, Airbnb and. Like that premise, you you're already caught off guard. You're already like, okay, this is the way the the movie is going. And yep. when you watch Barbarian, there's you can't predict a single thing that happens. Nope. It's it goes back to the fear of the unknown. Like you you can't anticipate anything that's happening in that movie. 
and the decisions that the the people make make sense yep. um to each character like someone's going to go down that tunnel someone is absolutely not going to go down that yep and uh it oh man we can go we can go for days on that one i yeah, love it yeah and that. it's hard to really talk about it. i feel bad now cuz i'm teasing the audience cuz like there's a t- off mic you and i'll have to talk about it but like <laughs> the movie the movie takes a lot of right turns um which and when a movie does that it's very dangerous because you can take a right turn and lose me very quickly this movie never did in fact every time it took a right turn it made sense to me and i was like oh now this is where we're going and i think for those of you listening if you love this genre barbarian i think is an important movie uh for me it's more important than i liked it i thought it was like i enjoyed the movie i didn't like it as much as everybody else but I think that anybody who says I like horror, I'm like, you have to go watch this movie. It's an important movie in the genre because it it speaks to the genre like it ends up being an overall um, almost masterclass on what the genre is and and all of the touchstones for it. So Barbarian, for those of you that are listening that are wicked into it. Kyle, there's a lot of really cool things to do on a Saturday afternoon that doesn't involve uh, shooting the shit with me for an, uh, an hour. So I appreciate you making the time. Yeah, this has been excellent. I'm glad. And uh, guys, everybody knows, scroll down. There's the links to everything, including everything we talked about, as well as the Kickstarter. Um, If you like board games, if you like co-op board games, if you like a little bit of the spooky stuff, just trust me, Vagrant Song deserves to be on these top 10 lists that you're hearing um, all over the place. It's a very, very good game. Uh, Last but not least, though, this is the end. You've listened to the whole episode, and I appreciate you doing it. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floor heads Good, 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 good. <laughs> Feeling okay? Yeah, yeah, just a little parched. <laughs> <laughs> so, wine or water you got in front of you? Just, just water and a Red Bull, <laughs> just in case if uh, the sleep starts kicking in again. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm still recovering from my surgery, so I took a big old fat nap. And then I also bought tickets to go see, uh, was it Talk to Me, that new horror film that's, that's just I'm headed there today. Yeah. Are you really? Oh, we're going to have to yeah, yeah. talk afterwards. Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm bachelor this weekend. The wife is off for a little staycation with friends. And uh, Cecilia went and um, uh, staying with my sister and uh, her cousins. So I'm like, it's just me and the dogs. And I'm like, you know what I can't do when the girls are here? Go see a scary movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll bring us back. Yeah, it's so Dude, hard, man. Like to remember. I'm gonna be dwelling like that. on that question all day. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, l- luckily, you're not obsessive. I know that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Speaking of, let's just see where those numbers are at. Oh, God. <laughs> all right, 462. We're climbing. All right. It's so cool, and that's really all word of mouth, and just off of the the, the playlist. Um. I mean, wait, I'll be very anxious to when, you know, some of the people, some of the channels and creators out there that have been right. loving the game when they start talking about it, that's going to
All right, I'll bring us back. Oh, that was a good segment, dude. Nice, <laughs> nice sales pitch. That's what I love about <laughs> that's what I love about my show is that it's not like we don't talk about why you should buy the game, but through talking about how you create the game, it becomes a great sales pitch. You still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway. Thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.